You're listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Mountain City Church. In this series, Purpose to Promise, we walk through the first 11 chapters of Genesis from God's purpose for his creation to his promise to Abraham. So last week, we looked at the beginning of chapter 6 and focused on a statement that God made. So we're going to continue our path in Genesis from purpose to promise. And today we're going to begin the flood account, which is many chapters, and um, we're going to take it in three big portions um, for us to do so. So last week, again, we, we kind of focused in on one statement in Genesis 6-6. If you were here last week, if not, I'll kind of catch you up just a little bit to where we're at and what we were thinking through um, last week when we left. And um, I know that uh, in my community group, um, it was it was good discussion. And, and I think Matt's uh, group, Matt and Chris's group, was good discussion also over this, just to think through this. The statement that we really looked at was Genesis 6-6 that said, And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. It grieved him to his heart. Why was he grieved? Genesis 6, 5 told us why he was grieved. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. So the main point of last week was to see the, the heart of God. To see that God chose to unite his heart with the humans he created and that every time that we sin, it grieves the heart of God. Many times we think, right, okay, God suffers when we sin. Yeah, he did that on the cross. No, he continually does that because he has, he has chosen, he has chosen this to attach his heart to the humans that he created. Maybe in seeing that, it caused you to realize the gravity of your sin, that, uh-oh, every time I sin, I'm grieving God. That's a good thing. That's what it showed me as we, I worked through it. Maybe in seeing it, this has caused you to rejoice because it showed you the love God has for you, and which that did for me, too. I, I think that that was more of what, what I discovered when I unpacked this for my own heart, is, man... I mean, we do a lot of things for a lot of people, but, but a lot of times, even for the ones that we love the most, we won't suffer for them. We won't be grieved by them. We'll protect ourselves, right? But, but we can rejoice because God chose to. He loves us that much. And we also saw yet again that, that our sin, it, it, it cannot be hidden. God sees it, right? It's, it's an inside job. It's, it comes from our heart and our desires. So we looked at James for that. Because it is, from the heart, it is continually. It's, as Calvin put it, like we, we, our hearts are idol factories. We're constantly seeking after something, desiring something to worship. Always producing something else that we think that we need to have peace, to have joy. But he is truly all we need. After seeing the, the state of the world, God decides to wipe the world clean in every trace of humanity, except, and he kind of leaves this dangling thought as we left last week, Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. But yet there's one. One to continue to seed, one 
to continue the grace of God. So today we will be, begin, as already been alluded to, a very, very familiar story to most. Maybe some of you have never heard the story of Noah and the flood. The, the story actually runs from 6-9 all the way to chapter 9. Um, and we're going to break it up into three sermons. So much of our um, interaction with this story is usually with Noah or figuring out how to get all the animals on the boat and, and all kinds of different things that we tend to have our minds wander to when we're trying to figure it out and, and try to make sense of what God is trying to say in this story. But the amazing thing is, is, is it seems that Moses... He really took um, care in writing this account, right? He, he really, like, it, it seemed like when he, he wrote this down for Israel, that's who he's writing to right before they go into the promised land, that he took um, notice of some things, and, and he did some things on purpose. So whenever we step back and kind of look at the whole story, we see a couple things that I found interesting. It also helped me look at the whole story and, and, and see God, who he is, what he's doing, who am I in light of it, what am I to do, or what am I to think differently, or how am I to be. It really helped me. And what we see when we do that is we see that the first half, that, it, that the, the story is kind of divided in, into two halves, especially where we're going to be today. We're going to take from 6-9 to 7-24. We're going to kind of look at that, and then, then we'll take 8-1 up until 9-something, and then Daniel's going to take the last half of Noah um, sinning yet again. Um, even though in our passage, he's declared a righteous man. Let's start figuring all this out in your, in your mind. Um, so in our story, it, it, we can see, right, that, that there's kind of two halves. What, what he's doing is he's deconstructing creation and he's reconstructing creation. It very much parallels chapters one and two. Right? We can, we can, if you read it carefully, and we're not going to do that this morning, but if you maybe you go back, and now that you have that and you can see that, right, you put on that lens, so to speak, maybe you can see how he's deconstructing things and reconstructing things. That's what God is doing here. So, again, the first half of the story, including the rise of the water, is a kind of decreation. God is undoing what he did. The second half of the story, including the receding of the water, is a kind of recreation, right? God's recreating the things. And what's in the middle of it? God remembered Noah, verse 1 of chapter 8. So in the middle of this story, this kind of goes from 6-9 all the way to, 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 to chapter 9, we, we see that God is decreating and then recreating, and in the middle of it, there's Noah, right? If you stop and think about it, what it the water, right? What, what does Genesis 1-1 tell us? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, Verse 2, the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. So the waters that are hovering over the earth, represented by the flood, is the chaos that was happening. And then God brings order to the chaos, 
So God is yet again bringing chaos to everything with a global flood, and then he's going to reorder it. And, and next week, we're going to see how he reordered it into a people of worship. That's kind of what we'll be looking at next week. So with the, with the center being Noah, that God remembered Noah. Since we are looking at the overall story, right, it's just we need to remember Noah's, I mean, Moses' audience. Right? His audience was Israel getting ready to go into the into the promised land and is getting they're getting these accounts of God doing for those that sin remember they just wandered around the desert for 40 years and he's given them all these accounts of this faithful God right so that this God had made promises this God had made promises to Israel that's about to go into the promised land that when you go into the promised land this 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 and this is going to happen this is who you're going to be now, one of the commentators points this out. His name's Salehammer. He points out how the story in many ways parallels Moses' story in Israel. So the story of the flood kind of parallels what Israel went through. The Hebrew word for ark, Noah's boat, only appears in the Old Testament one other place, and that's when it's translated basket in Exodus 2. In reference to the basket, Moses' mother placed him in to save him. When Moses later opposed Pharaoh, he witnessed God's judgment by what? How did God judge Pharaoh's army? Through the Red Sea. By water. Right? By water. Moses was given explicit instructions in building the tabernacle, just as Noah had been given detailed instructions for the ark. Build it so long, so high, so wide even down to the specifications regarding clean and unclean animals. So Salehammer concludes this. These parallels suggest that Moses saw a comparison between the salvation in the Ark of Noah during the 40 days and 40 nights of rain and the salvation in the tabernacle years in the wilderness. So he sees this parallel between Noah and himself as he's telling this story to Israel to maybe remind them. Can you see how that would help them? It's just, it's a modern day illustration is what's happening here as Moses is giving them these scriptures so they can read over and over again, over and over again. But we must understand, okay, that the whole message isn't just about the flood and God's judgment, right? I mean, it's obviously pr prominent. It's obviously a big part of it. It's obviously we can get into hours and hours and hours of argument of how big the flood was and, and all kinds of stuff about the flood. But it's not exclusively about God's judgment because that's what the flood represents, right? That God said, I'm going to wipe the earth of these humans, that all they do is sin. I, I'm, this is what I'm doing. I'm going to start over. The story focuses on Noah. Now get this. It focuses on Noah as the kind of man who is saved out of a lost world, right? And what we have here is not just judgment. Again, we have salvation through judgment. We have salvation through judgment. 
You have a swift and terrible judgment on sinful rebellion in the flood. God remembers Noah, a righteous man. God starts a new order with Noah and his family. And the story ends with a sacrifice, a worshiping community. This is Noah's story. Simply put, it's about a righteous man. Hmm. Maybe we need to figure out what that means for us today. What does it mean to be a righteous man? So let me read some of the verses, and I'll cue you so you can follow along. I ask that you probably should keep your Bible open and, and try to, as I um, pick and choose some, some verses to try to keep our flow going as far as the story goes, um, that would help tremendously. So let me just read and, and pray for us, and we'll see about this righteous man named Noah. So Genesis 6, 9 through 14, let's start there. There are the generations of Noah. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. And Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh. For the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and out with pitch. Let's drop down to verse 18. But I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall come into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. And of every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every sword into the ark to keep them alive with you. You shall be, it, they shall be male and female. Drop down to verse 22. Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. Verse 1. Then the Lord said to Noah, Go into the ark, you and all your household, for I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. Drop down to verse 10. And after seven days the waters of the flood came upon the earth. Drop down to verse 15. They went into the ark with Noah, two and two of all flesh in which... There was the breath of life. And those that entered, male and female of all flesh, went in as God had commanded him. And the Lord shut him in. Verse 23 and 24. He blotted out every living thing that was on the face of the ground, man and animals and creepy things and birds of the heavens. They were blotted out from the earth. Only Noah was left and those who were with him in the ark. And the waters prevailed on the earth 150 days. Father, we just ask for help today, Lord, through your spirit. Lord, we have your word. We have this story of Noah. And Lord, we, we know it's a, it's a story about what you are doing and who you are. Father, just help us through your spirit to, to apply this to our hearts, to change how we think or maybe how we behave depending on what you reveal by your word. Lord, I just ask for your help today. And we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. So many times, what happens whenever we turn to the Old Testament, right? Because it's narrative, when we study it, we look at the characters in the story, and many times we'll, we'll plop ourselves, okay, I'm going to be this character or that character, and this is how we kind of read through it to understand it. 
Um, let me give you a simple example. And many times it's not the right thing to do, right? Many times it's, it's not the right thing to do. So how many of you heard this one before? And, and don't raise your hands or nothing, but David and Goliath, right? And, and most of you will know exactly where I'm going with this, that, that someone will stand up, we're going to do the David and Goliath story, so you must be David and, 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 and tear down your, your giants, right? And some even would take the stones and give meaning to the stones and stuff like that. So everybody puts, puts you in the place of David, right? You go conquer your giants in life, right? Be like David. But in that story, really, we're Israel. We're Israel hiding in the bushes, scared to death of the giants. And David does not represent us. David represents who? Jesus. Because he's the one that conquers our giants for us, which fundamentally changes the gospel versus religion, right? If, if they're up there, if someone's up, if, if you're reading that story by saying that David, go be David, you can conquer your giants, then that's fundamentally works righteousness. You are working your way. You can do it. You go do it. The gospel says no. The gospel says God has sent someone that has already done it for you. What you need to do is believe in that, which is much harder than just trying to do it. And this is what we got to figure out today. Why is that so much harder? To just believe that Christ has already done it for us. Why is that so much harder than just doing it ourselves? To go headlong, to get the list down, to, to organize everything, to discipline ourselves. I, I can conquer this, I can do this. Why is it so much harder just to live in grace? and allow our belief to work for us. Saying all that, I believe in Noah's story, we can be Noah. We can read it by putting ourselves in Noah's place. Because what saved Noah saves us, brother and sister. Because what saves Noah saves us. Noah was in the very same position we are now within the timeline of God's redemptive plan. Right? He was in the same position. Jesus said as much, right? This is where I'm getting this from. Jesus said this to us. He said, for as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. So positionally, we're in the same place. All these people, as Noah was building the ark, were just living their lives, everyday lives waiting and not knowing and not believing, because Peter says that Noah was actually proclaiming also. So he was probably warning some people, and I'm sure there was a lot of people asking him, why, dude, are you building an ark in the middle of the desert, right? I'm sure he had some questions and, and got, uh, got some uh, pushback from that, right? So we're, we live in this position in God's timeline of being a sojourner in a land waiting for God's judgment to come, just like Noah. We are waiting for the final judgment. We are waiting for Jesus to come back a second time. Do you see what, when I say positionally where we're at? 
Noah, right here in this story, he was a sojourner now. He was, God made a covenant with him. In 6.13 it says, And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. In 2 Corinthians 5.10 we read, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. There's judgment coming. Acts 17.31 says, Because he has fixed the day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed, Jesus. And if this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. How do we know he's going to do that? Because he raised him from the dead. So positionally, we are waiting for God to do what? To fulfill his promise. To fulfill his promise. He promised this is going to happen. Jesus is coming back one day. And I know when, when preachers or anybody starts talking about this, the eyes glaze over and it's like, oh, it's been so long. Hmm. Just like the people that got washed away in the flood. Right? See, God is promising to judge the world. He has, he has to if he is a just God. The nature of the judgment Noah faced was a flood. For behold, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which is, is the breath of life under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall die. The nature of judgment we will face is far more breathtaking than a flood. Why is that? Listen to what Paul says. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time before the Lord comes, who will bring to light, here it is, this is what, it, this is, sin does not hide, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Why does Joe every Sunday constantly talk about your heart? Because this is what God's going to look at when you get judged. That's a scary thought. Bring on the floodwaters, because that's more scary. This is more scary than, than floodwaters. Maybe I can do the doggy paddle long enough, right? Then each one will receive his commendation from God. Right? Paul is saying that God is going to look into our hearts at all that we have done. For those who are not in Christ, they have no hope. But for those who are in Christ... There will be blessings. It's kind of what the passage is getting at, but to know that you're going to be judged and he's seeing your heart, God is still going to look at your heart of what you have done with the blessings that you have been given. What have you done with all that I have given you? Right? There's, there's this no fake it till you make it idea in Christianity. You can pretend all you want on this side of the judgment, but it is to your own demise. So as, as I pray for you, as Chris prays for you, as Sam prays for you, as those that have stepped up and said, you know what, I'm going to be partly responsible for each one of your souls whenever you stand before God on this judgment day. You can see the weight that is being carried. It's, it's the, the only thing that I lose sleep over. 
because usually I put on my mask and lights out. But I'll lay there and, and contemplate and think of, of one of you guys as we're living life together and, and it's like, Lord, give me the words to help them. Give me the words to, to show them their unbelief. Give me the words to help them to repent. So that on that day, when God looks at your heart and there's going to be plenty of things wrong, but they're all covered with Jesus. They're all covered with what he has done. His perfect obedience. Brother and sister, do you believe this today? Do you believe that, that one day Jesus is coming back? One day you, you, not the person next to you, not maybe, not, well, that's just because this pastor said this or Joe said that. No. Do you believe one day you will stand before Jesus in judgment? Do you believe that? Do we honestly believe that this whole world is headed for final judgment? And what you live in today is the grace of God's patience. His patience. His forbearance. His patience and forbearance as he sees us stumbling and falling and sinning and it's grieving its heart. Do we believe this today? Because I honestly think if we truly believed it, if we truly valued it, we would live differently in many areas of our life. I think this is one of the ways that he helps us to get on the path, to walk with God. We're living in this patience, not so that everyone can build an ark. We're not all to build an ark, but we're all been called to be ambassadors, to go and proclaim the good news that he can send the Son We've been all called to do that. But what we don't believe in that, right? It, it's clear, it's clear as well. We are called, go therefore make disciples. As you go, make disciples. That is your purpose. That's why God saved you. He's moving the, the kingdom forward. But the, the unbelief in our heart is simply this. X, Y, or Z will give me more joy than making disciples. X, Y, or G will make me more holy than making disciples. When I think Jesus said, as you go make disciples, part of making you holy and part of keeping you on the path walking with God is making disciples. Why? Because you've got to step out of your comfort zone. You've got to constantly be relying on God and His Holy Spirit. It's part of the plan. And some of us is like, ah, disciple making stuff, that's just for some people. No, it isn't. You're going to stand before him one day. And he's going to say, I gave you something to do. How'd you do? I gave you all the tools in the tool belt that you need. I gave you the word of God. I gave you the Holy Spirit. I gave you a church family to lean on one another so you can go do it, not by yourself, but with others. Seriously. We're not called to build an ark, but we have been called to do something, right? So we are positionally 
in the same position as Noah. Noah is there, he's, he's, he's been told by God that something's going to happen and he's plugging along, building an ark. We've been told by God that something's going to happen. We are not to build an ark, but we are to go and make disciples. That's what we are to do. In the second way, we are like Noah. We both need something to pass through the judgment and make it to the other side. We all need something to pass through the judgment and make it to the other side, right? We, th we see this in verse 1 of chapter 6, and we see this in verse 1 of chapter 7. God makes the same statement about Noah. In 6.1, he says, Noah was a righteous man. In 7.1, I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. So there's something about this righteous idea that is getting Noah through the other side, right? It's the same with us. It's the very same with us. So it begs the question, what does it mean to be righteous? I mean, that's, a, that's one of those Christian words that you hear in sermons and, and, and those that, that are familiar with the Bible, they'll, they'll say it, you need to be righteous. So what does that mean? Well, basically it means one who is right. Well, if you're going to be right, you gotta have a set of standards to be right too, right? And who sets those standards? Obviously, God sets those standards. Think of it as a polar opposite of sin. To commit sin is to go against God's design for our lives. Therefore, righteousness is the only living standard that is acceptable for us to stand before the Father. The wages of sin is death, but Proverbs tells us in the path of righteousness is life. And in its pathway, there is no death. So somehow this righteousness idea and life are coming together, right? And here it is, first introduced way back in Genesis 6. That for us to get through the judgment, we need some kind of a righteousness. We got to be right before somebody, before God, obviously. So righteousness is meeting a standard, which is an action, how you perform. Is it not? It's like, whoa, wait a minute. I know, I, know, I know there's a lot of red flags going up right now with some of you. It's like, whoa, don't go there, Joe. Don't tell me that I gotta do stuff in order to show me that I'm righteous. But James seems to say that. James seems to say that. And, now I'm getting ahead of myself. So righteousness is meeting a standard, which is an action, how you perform. We see this with Noah. Do we not? We see in verses 6, 22, and 7, 5. Noah did what? What did Noah do? All that God commanded. That's action, right? That's doing something. That's beyond just knowing something that's actually putting your knowledge to work, right? That's what he's doing. So is this what we are to take from this? Go try harder to obey all that God said? Is that what I want to tell you about Noah's story? No, it's not. We know that our Bibles tells us, though, to go make disciples and to what? Teach them uh, to obey what? All that I commanded. We know that our Bibles tell us we are to love God and one of those ways is to, how do we love him? 
He tells us, if you love me, you will what? Keep my commandments. We know that our, um, is that what we take from this? Go try hard to be like Noah and obey what God said? Is that what I'm trying to say? No, it's not. It's more than that. It's this tension that we live in constantly as Christians of understanding that, you know, we can get on the path where, where we come and, and, and we hear this, the sermon and hear what everything is said is, okay, this is what I got to do. So I got to go do, 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 do this, right? And then sometimes we'll come in and we'll hear the sermon and says, well, the pastor said that I need to, to rest in what Christ has done. Well, in the middle of that is that tension that we live in every single day. Well, do I do it or do I just rest in Christ? Right? Do I just do it on my own or my resting in Christ for doing it. And, and some of you might even be in the place where you're seeing the grace of God for the first time in your life. That you've actually laid out all the things that you think you have to do to get yourself to God, right? And you're wrestling with it right now. It's like, what do you mean I can just have grace? You mean there's grace if I didn't get up and read my Bible today? Well, absolutely there is. You can live in God's grace. We don't want you to stay there. You can live in his grace. It's not how we're working our way. It's because of what God's done. We have work to do, just like Noah had work to do. Noah spent a better part, get this, stop and think about this. Noah spent a better part of 100 years obeying God, building an ark in the middle of the desert. <laughs> Stop and think about that. For a hundred years, he had one thing to do, build an ark. Why? Because I told you the flood's coming. That's some serious obedience, isn't it? Now, do you think that Noah was just wired differently and he was a super achiever and that's how he got to do it? Because sometimes I think that's what, what we think in, in, the, in the body of Christ, even though we're all on this journey together is like, well, let the super achievers over there go do this and I'll just not do much, right? It's not about Noah and how he's wired. It's about what he believed. He believed God's promise. He believes God promised that there's a flood coming, but he also believes God promised that I'm going to save you and your family. It's how faith, how what John Piper would call future grace empowers what we do each and every day. Is that we know that God has made a promise. That he said all these different things. So if you're thinking about, I want to go reach out and, and talk to my neighbor. There are so many promises for you in this word for that simple interaction. It's amazing. The Holy Spirit is with you. Whenever you need something to say, I will give it to you. God is already preparing somebody's heart. There's this promise after promise. Do we believe it as we're walking into that situation? So that's how Piper described future grace. Do you believe that when you get to the situation, whether it's a hard conversation or um, a, a hard decision, do you believe that God's grace is already there waiting for you? I know, I'm all over the place because I have something in my heart I want to say and, and 
and I just couldn't put it down in a typical sermon format. So bear with me. Here's what I see. The same thing that kept Noah going in his obedience is the same thing that will save him at final judgment. It's the same thing. It's his faith. It's his belief in God's promises. Now, am I just shooting in the dark on that? No, I'm not. Sam read it. The Bible tells us how it happened, why he was saved. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. So, the righteousness that Noah had, that Noah obtained, was because he believed what God said. Right? Believing God is what made Noah righteous. Believing God is what kept Noah going when the world around him was hating on him. Do you see? It's kind of like the fuel. Your faith. It's an act of faith. You can't just sit there and say, I believe for this to happen. It's an act of faith. He was building an ark while he was believing God for the promise. Right? Not only was he believing God that there's judgment is coming, he was also believing that he would be saved. He's in the middle of the desert. He's not like he's a shipbuilder. <laughs> Do you see that tension that we live in? Do we see the fuel, you know, like H2O to the water boy? It's tackling fuel, right? It's faith. He's believing God. We believe in God. Jesus' brother James wrote the same truth down for us. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. That's verse 24. But before that he says, but someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You want an illustration of that? Noah. How do you demonstrate your faith by your works? You believe in the promises of God. You find out what he set you on to do. And he's pretty much given us the simple task, not simple task, the simple understanding of what to do, which is to go and make disciples. That can happen thousands and millions of different ways because he never said, this is how you exactly do it. He did give us some principles to go by. So do we see that that belief in God's promises. Every time we get, we get right to the edge, right? We get to the right to the edges. Am I going to do this or am I not going to do this? We get right to the edge and what sets our path? We're either believing in God and his promises and what he has said and what he has promised us and all that he has done for us or we're just going to believe our hearts and go after whatever desire might lead us away. That's a tough one. That's probably the hardest thing to work through in the Christian life. Because, you know why? Because it happens probably two million times every day. <laughs> right? That's a tough one. This is why you need to be saturated with the Word. That why, that's why we need to pray, spend time with God. 
so that you know him. That way you can trust him. There's no formula for this. I've been, this summer, I've been reading so many books about vision and, and what the church needs to be doing and this, that, and the other. And, and I'm like, that's just bunk, man. It just really is. God is in charge. The Holy Spirit is in charge of it all. He's leading us. Yes, we, we should be looking to see who's gifted and doing what and how they can help each other and how we can build one another up in, into Christ and into holiness. But it's all about being on his mission. And the whole thing is it takes time. It takes years. It takes years for a, a community of people that they come from various backgrounds and different things to come together and trust one another enough to go and, and be on mission together. Noah had a mission, build an ark. He brought his family with him, his sons helped him. What did, God, what did Noah believe? What, what was that fuel that kept him going? Genesis 6, 18. But I will establish my covenant with you and you shall come into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. This is what God promised him. That's what a covenant is. It's a promise, like, I'm going to do this. At the end of our business meeting, we'll read a covenant that everybody that came together signed and said, these are the things I'm going to do. I'm going to let my yes be yes and my no be no. And I'm going to do these things with these people. That's what a covenant is. So God promised these things. This is the, the fuel that, that keeps Noah going for 100 years building this ark, is, is God's promise. Noah believed the promise of God. This is what made him righteous, and this is what sustained him to obey God, and this is what will save him at final judgment, because Noah has to face final judgment also. The promises of God are the uh, sustenance of his people. The promises of God are the sustenance of his people. People. Not only did Noah believe God that he was going to save him, but he believed that there was a flood coming. He made the covenant. He sent the rain. God called the animals to the ark. God shut them in the ark. He sealed them. He sealed them. God has provided you and me with an ark and a covenant promise of salvation. The ark is not a Boat. It is a person, the person of Jesus Christ. And the new covenant is mediated by more than just a promise. It is mediated by the one who fulfilled all the promises of God, and that is Jesus Christ. He fulfilled all the promises. The book of Hebrews is all about that. How Jesus is better. How Jesus fulfilled all these promises. 2 Corinthians 1.20 says, For all the promises of God find their yes in Him. That is why it is through Him that we utter our amen to God for His glory. Jesus fulfilled all the promises. He, he obeyed perfectly. He did the will of God perfectly. We are in the same position as Noah. We have been given the same opportunity to be in covenant relationship with God, just like Noah. We have been given salvation from final judgment if we put our faith in Jesus Christ, which will be the evidence by works that we do. Not our works, but God's work. 
not the things that we decide as our work, but what God in Ephesians 2.10 says, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. He's already prepared it. That is a promise. Do we believe it? This is what I saw out of these verses of Noah. This tension. We are called to do something, but man, we struggle hard. I struggle hard at doing it. But it's showing us that how we accomplish that, how we move forward, how we stay on the path. It also says Noah walked with God is by believing and trusting in his promises. And brother and sister, that will be showed by what you do and what you give your life to. How you spend your time, your talents. It is showed in that. But we need righteousness. We've been given an ark his name is Jesus. Even the Holy Spirit has sealed us if you're in Christ. So the simple question today is, do you believe it? Have you trusted in him? Have you turned from the things that you're trusting in and turned to Jesus? Because he's fulfilled all the promises. He is our righteousness so that we can stand before a holy God. Let's pray. Father, I just ask, Lord, that Lord, I know that your spirit works amazing things. I believe the gospel is the power to salvation. And I believe that if we are sitting here with, with a heavy heart right now, that, that you have given us relief and peace by turning it over to you and to ask forgiveness and ask the Holy Spirit to help me believe in the promises, to help me to trust in him more. Father, if there's one here that's like, I, I don't know if I've ever done that. I, I, I think I'm still trying to work my way to, to heaven. Lord, I just ask that you would send the Spirit so they can let go of those chains and trust in you. And just trust in you. Father, we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Mountain City Church. To learn more about our church, visit our website at mountaincty.church. Thanks again, and may the Lord bless your week.